Hey everyone, I'm David Nesbitt, Content Marketing Manager at Incognia. Thanks for joining us again on the Trust and Safety Mavericks podcast. On this episode of the show, Incognia's CEO, Andre Faraz, talks with Steve Craig, founder and CEO of Peak IDV. Peak IDV is an organization that helps people become experts in digital identity. Andre and Steve's conversation covers a number of interesting topics, including Incognia's unique method of combining device fingerprinting with location data to defeat fraudsters, some creative fraud schemes that Andre has been seeing in the market, and how unique fraud challenges in Andre's home country of Brazil have influenced Incognia's approach to fraud prevention. This conversation was originally recorded for Steve's Peak IDV Executive Series podcast, and he was kind enough to let us share it here with you as well. Let's get into the show. I'm super excited to introduce today's guest. He is Andre Faras. He's the co-founder and CEO of Incognia. Incognia is an innovator in the exact tamper-resistant location and device intelligence for fraud prevention. Andre is a serial entrepreneur. Prior to starting Incognia, he was founder and CEO of Inloco, uh, an tech business. He was acquired by magazine Luisa. Prior to Inloco, he was founder and CEO of Ubi. I hope that's the, the right pronunciation. And he built that company from a research project to a prototype. Originally, uh, Andre's from Recife, Brazil. He's leading Incognia today from the Bay Area, California. Uh, you can catch him on LinkedIn. He frequently writes posts about the industry, he speaks at conferences and webinars. He does podcasts. He's all over. Thank you so much, Andre, for joining this podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's dive in. I, I've personally worked in mobile application and SDK development, and I must admit, with what I know about Incognia, you've got one of the most interesting companies that's emerged in the past few years. Can you talk a little bit more about the problems that you're solving at Incognia? One of the key issues we find in the industry is that pretty much everything that has to do with fraud prevention has a, a device fingerprinting component to it. But we we started identifying that there were a few issues arising. I'd say the first one is recently we saw a lot of changes to the operating systems and the browsers in terms of the uh, limitations they have created around collecting data, right? Mostly for privacy purposes, uh, but that is hurting some of these solutions that, that rely on device fingerprint. The other two things that we have encountered was that there are two very common behaviors that we observe from fraudsters. The first one is uh, trying to clean these devices so that they're able to generate a new device ID. Um, the most extreme example would be going through a factory reset process, right? So it looks like a completely new device. And we, we realized that the existing vendors were not able to capture that. Um, given that's a very common behavior we observe from processors, this means that they were being able to come back and attack you again. And uh, the biosignal solutions were not effective to, to prevent that. And then the third thing I'll mention is we also noticed that the uh, existing device fingerprinting solutions were not able to find the connections between multiple devices, right? So especially the more like organized fraud rings, for example, they usually have like multiple people working at that. And usually each of these individuals, they have access to multiple devices. So in many situations, when you think you're being attacked by like a thousand different fraudsters, in fact, you're being attacked by just a handful that each has access to multiple devices. So 
we realized that if we created a solution that was more resilient and could build a stronger fingerprint for, for devices and users, this could enhance uh, the, the capabilities around preventing fraud. So, so that's essentially what, what we do is, is creating a more resilient uh, fingerprint for these devices so that we are more effective at preventing and detecting fraud. Yeah, the point you made about the shift from large device manufacturers, let's say like Apple or Samsung or Google, they've started a lockdown on privacy, I think a lot because of the abuse of ad tech, right? You're tracking people mm-hmm. and you're trying to make money off of them. But then when they create this opportunity to purge out that history, reset devices, change the identifiers, and it opens it up for fraudsters to exploit those features, which are meant for good consumers. With your history um, in ad tech, is that how you connected to the Incognia like problem space? Is did you see that? Is is that some of the history there? That could be a, an, an interesting way to to describe our story, but actually, was the other way around. So we initially, when when my colleagues and I we, we started building our first company, what we wanted to build was actually uh, the same product we're working on today. But what we realized in the, in the early days was that there wasn't a real like market opportunity at the time. Like, the market wasn't ready for for a solution like Incognia like ten years ago. So we we had built the underlying location technology back then. Wow! So so this technology is, is actually quite mature. We have been working on it for more than ten years. And what we decided was, well, given the market is not ready for this idea. Uh, let's try to monetize this location technology with, with something else, right? And this is how we got into ad tech because we realized that this technology could also help like retailers understand and drive tra- full traffic to their stores. So we built a product to do that. But yeah, we always wanted to to build a, a fraud prevention solution. The timing was, wasn't right. But once we sold the business, we, we decided to go back to that idea and, and we realized that the, the market was finally ready. So that's that's when we launched in Cognac. Yeah, it's, it's as if with, with the onset of the pandemic and suddenly the change of people not working in offices and this emergence of digital nomads, you saw all these shifts, fraud exploded during that time as everyone's yes. suddenly moving into the digital channel. I see on LinkedIn that you have September 2020, which is sort of in the throes of the pandemic just beginning. Did you see that black swan event and go, hey, this is starting to really ramp, maybe we can take that technology and then start to apply it? Is, is that what was the compelling event? Yes, yes, exactly. We, we started developing uh, the, the product in, in March 2020. So yeah, like once once we, we started seeing like lockdowns and all this stuff, we were like, okay, now it looks like the, the right moment for a product like this. So we started building it back then and launched it in, in September 2020. So yeah, it was finally the right time. Yeah, with, with all of the food delivery and just the essential services, people weren't leaving their houses. So you, you really needed to rely on those frontline um, marketplaces to be able to to continue to do business. Well, it's it's been out three years. So that was 2020. We're coming up on September 2023. Can you describe a little bit more how your product works today? Uh, like what's the state of the art with integration experience and how do end users, if do they interact at all with your technology or is it seamless? We started from the, the, the concept of, of device fingerprinting, and then we added this patient layer on top. So to explain a little bit more about the, the location technology we have, over the past 10 years, we have been working on building a location technology that was more accurate than the GPS, because we, we thought that it could enable a number of additional use cases when it comes to, to Biden fraud, right? So 
we developed a, a solution that uses uh, signals like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And, and with that, we're able to improve the accuracy of, of the location data. And with that improved accuracy, which is within like seven uh, to 10 feet works indoors, it's able to identify like which, like in which floor you are within the building. So it's much better than, than GPS. We combine that with the device fingerprint solution, right? So the first and most basic thing we do here is with this combination, we're able to solve those problems I, I mentioned in the beginning, right? So detecting device resets, creating a more stable device fingerprint, detecting the connections between multiple devices and things like that. So that in itself enables us to be way more effective at preventing fraud. Because for example, if you're not able to detect the device resets, that means that the fraudster won't be able to come back. You're just delaying the process, but they will come back anyways and will attack you again. If we detect it, they won't be able to come back, right? So it, it, it becomes way more effective. So that's the most basic part. Besides that, we, we do a, a number of other things. Like for example, as part of the IDV process, right? Usually you will, for example, scan your driver's license and do things like that. And as part of that process, we are able to capture information about the address of the user, right? So one of the things we do is we check that address against the, the location behavior of the device to determine what is the likelihood of you living in that location. If so, the, the chances that you are a legitimate user are much higher. If there is no match, then the likelihood of that being a fraudulent uh, account is, is higher as well. So we're connecting like the IDV process uh, to, to kind of a, the physical world uh, type of information, uh, binding these two things uh, and making the identity verification process more, more reliable. Another thing we do is to use location also to remove friction from the authentication experience. So for example, when you are logging in to your app, could be either a banking app or a marketplace, et cetera. Uh, one of the things we see is that about 90% of the logins occur from places that you go very frequently, like your home, your office, et cetera. So in those situations, if you're logging in from the same device that you always use, from a location that is familiar, like your home, for example, why do we need you to type your password again, right? Or why do we need to send you a six-digit OTP over SMS or asking for a biometric? So we can basically get rid of that and provide a much better user experience by simply recognizing that you are on a tr trusted device and on a, on a trusted location, right? And with that, we eliminate friction for like 90% plus of, of the events. That's fascinating. And do you require permissioning? Like a lot of the access to the, the device GPS, of course, there's a prompt, but are you able to do some of these features if the fraudster were to say, no, I'm not giving you my location? Is there ways you can get around that? Yeah. Uh, so for the device fingerprinting, we don't need permissioning. Uh, so we're able to capture all the, all the data we need for that purpose. For the location piece, we do need the users to, to opt in. So they're Lack of opt-in actually is it's a signal in itself um, because we see that the vast majority of the users they they do once they realize that this data will be used for uh, proposition purposes. So, for example, we, we have examples of customers that did did it the right right way or the wrong way. The wrong way is not explaining to your user that you're going to use that data for proposition purposes. We would see like opt-in rates around fifty percent when the apps were transparent with their users and they say like this data will be used for example to protect your accounts uh, we see 
opt-in rates upwards are just 95%. So vast majority of users are willing to share this data if they understand that this will be used to protect them. looking at some of your case studies and what you describe for the technology, it makes a lot of sense for where you've had phenomenal success. Food delivery, the gig economy, peer-to-peer marketplaces, even banks and fintechs. Uh, where would you say most of the value is that you're creating? Is it in the upfront or is it the authentication? Is it account recovery? Like where are you seeing the most success with the product? Yeah, it's, it's actually across the board. Um, it, it's a very flexible solution because in the end, like it's a better way to uh, identify your user, right? And, and you can use it in different uh, moments. So for example, we have a number of clients that are using us to streamline the onboarding process. So when the user is going through the, the IUV process and they're verifying their, their documents, for example, and, and sharing their, their personal data, we're able to do other verifications behind the scenes, right? So, okay, is this a trusted device? Does this user live at this address? Things like that. And in, in many situations, we're able to eliminate some of the steps the user needs to go through because we did some other verifications be, behind the scenes, making making the process more, more seamless. So we have a lot of customers using us for, for that. Uh, that's also helping them reduce manual refills at part of the IDV process, for example. So that's one big use case. So the second big use case for us is around our, the authentication process, both on reducing and, and, and preventing account takeovers but also on uh, streamlining the authentication experience by eliminating like passwords, OTPs, et cetera. So that's another big one. Uh, and, and then the more general like fraud use cases, like payment fraud, coupon abuse, refund abuse, like we, we also help our customers on uh, reducing those, those kind of issues. So those are the, let's say, broad use cases that, that we see across industries. And then we have some industry-specific use cases, like for example, with code delivery, there's a lot of location spoofing on the driver's side. Location rental platforms, you have issues related to fake listings, right? People would just like put a, a place that doesn't really exist uh, to, to scam people on, on these platforms. Uh, you have like fake reviews and, and fake uh, restaurants on like full delivery platforms as well. In banking, uh, you have instant payments where we're working with a lot of companies around like real time payments and, and making them more secure. So. Uh, yeah, um, we're seeing that the product works across multiple industries and really happy to see how flexible it can be. Yeah, it's, it's great. You mentioned something just now about like multi-factor and one-time passwords and anyone who's watching this series knows like don't be doing SMS based. It's, it's so movable and uh, it's subject to fraud attacks. On your LinkedIn, you talk about being a pioneer around zero-factor authentication, which is you know, we're always adding factors like an authenticator code and you know the password list uh, on the device. What does zero-factor mean to you, and how is Incognia continuing to pioneer this capability? Yeah, so the idea is basically that like by by analyzing data, like there are some signals, some some data elements that can help you determine if that user is who they say they are without even asking for any credential, right? So the three data points that I think are the most important to get to that are one, the device, right? So if you know that device, if you've seen this device before, if this device has accessed this account already in the past, that's a strong signal, right? 
And obviously you need to ensure that the device fingerprinting solution is really strong, stable, and resilient to like things like device resets and, and also identifying if that is related to any, any other fraudulent device and things like that. So that, that would be the first data point. The second data point is around network, right? So is this uh, a trustworthy network, right? Is this the, uh, like, let's say a carrier that this user frequently uses, or is this a new carrier, for example? Is this user connected to Wi-Fi? Was this Wi-Fi network linked to other suspicious or fraudulent activity in the past? Or is it the same Wi-Fi router that this user is always connected to when they are at home, for example? So analyzing this, the, the network is, is important, uh, detecting things like proxies and VPN or exit nodes also inform like if this user is trying to hide something or not. So network data is also important to analyze. And then the most important would be location, right? So as I've mentioned, like 90% of the logins to like financial services apps and marketplaces occur from places that the user frequents a lot, like your home and your office. So if we identify that this user is on a trusted device, on a trusted network, and on a place that they go very like, frequently, the likelihood of that being the right person is very high, right? Because otherwise, like someone else would need to steal your phone, check into your house, connect to your network, and know the password of your device. So, so it, it's unlocked, right? So, like, it's too much work and too much risk to get that done. So, basically, by verifying all of these elements, we, we can be confident enough to authenticate that user without having to to ask for a password or any other form of, of NFA. For, on that first point you mentioned for seeing the device, uh, does that imply your platform is almost like consortium powered where every client you bring on expands the footprint of the devices you see, or is it only within the ecosystem of each client? Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it's a consortium. Currently we have about uh, 200 million devices in, in our network and it's expanding quite quickly. Yeah, that powerful because you may have a first time customer, but then if they've been seen and they've been flagged as good with a peer or maybe, a, you know, a different type of business, it gives you a lot of intelligence right out of the bat. Yeah. Very interesting model. I'm seeing more and more of that in the space. Well, I want to go deeper into Incognito in a moment. When I want to zoom out and um, look at your, your personal story. So you've been starting companies for years, but you were based in Brazil. You have your company is a mix of Brazilian employees, U.S. employees, and others around the world. How has your experience in Brazil influenced how you've built this global brand and this global company? One of the things that I've seen uh, running some parallels on is on the Israeli cybersecurity industry. So. The situation there is, um, it, it's a region uh, that's that's uh, not very stable, right? There, there are conflicts all, all the time. Therefore, they need to be extremely prepared for any any type of attack, including cyber attacks, right? So you, you have like a lot of people that know a lot about cybersecurity. Therefore, they're creating some of the best companies in the space, but it's not a huge market, right? So they create these companies and these technologies out of Israel and they very quickly expand into the US and grow very quickly, right? So like some of the leading cybersecurity companies come from there. I think 
places like Brazil, for example, could uh, become very similar to Israel, but particularly in regards to fraud, not cybersecurity, but, but fraud prevention specifically. Why do I say that? Because if you compare the activity that's going on uh, like here in the US to what's going on in Brazil in terms of fraud, Brazil is way more difficult because First of all, like in terms of the, the, the regulations and, and prosecution of like online fraudsters, like in practice, they're not going to jail. Nothing is happening because like there, there are so much more going on in, in the country that they, they simply cannot focus on going after these, these type of bad actors, right? So basically that creates an incentive for the organized crime to invest more and more in our online fraud. So, so that's one element. The second element is basically that recently, right, you, you had uh, PIX, which is a real-time payments uh, solution that was enforced by the central banks on all of the financial institutions. So differently than FedNow, um, everyone had to adopt and enable that service for all of their customers from day one. Currently, PIX, uh, which is the real-time payment system from, from uh, the central bank in Brazil, is already bigger than cash payments, is already bigger than credit card payments, like in, in I think in only two or three years. So it has become the, the most important payment solution in, in the country. And real-time payments means real-time fraud. Uh, so you also create another layer of incentive for fraudsters to, to act. So if you compare a, a Brazilian financial institution to an, an American financial institution, for example, the Brazilians are way more advanced in terms of fraud prevention solutions because they had to, right? They, they were forced to because they, they were being attacked more aggressively from like different places and, and, and from people that were simply not going to jail after, after doing so. So for example, out of the top 50 financial institutions in the U.S., about 75% still rely on SMS-based OTP as a second, second factor authentication. And we just spoke about it, right? It's not secure. It's easy to spoof. There are so many ways that this can fail. But still, the vast majority of the financial institutions rely on this. If you look at Brazil, none of the top 50 institutions rely on this. They, they, they have built more sophisticated solutions for that. So what's very interesting is by learning from the Brazilian experience on how to fight like fraud in such a difficult environment, we're able to bring all of this knowledge here to our customers in the United States and enable them to upgrade their defenses way more quickly than if they were partnering with, with a vendor that was fully present in this part because they were simply not exposed to these newer attacks that, that were going on. So I, I think that's, that's helping us a lot make a really interesting point on that, that leapfrog effect. We've seen this time and time again. You think about the internet in the US, we were still doing dial up as other countries were rolling out mobile networks. And some countries were much faster in SMS adoption, or even when you look at China or India, there are payments ecosystems. People are, they might only have a phone and they're interacting in ways we're still putting our cards in and writing checks. So I think it's really a really fascinating point. I mean, when you think about fraud, pretty universal in the different attacks because technology is similar across different regions or different regulations and, and things you have to deal with. But what are some of the attacks that you're seeing that you're stopping from organized crime? Because that's really what we want to fight the, uh, the evils of the world, which they use as money for money laundering and bribery, et cetera. 
what have you seen and what have you stopped? Yeah. Um, well, there are a lot of things going on, um, but overall, some of the the attacks that I, I was most impressed about were were two. One was in the in the food delivery space, where where basically what was going on was um, like they they infiltrated a lot of accounts of drivers in a food delivery platform, and basically what they did was they would go to your restaurant, they would pick up your order, and right after they picked up your order, they would cancel it. So you, as a consumer, you would receive a notification on the app saying like, hey, your order was canceled, here's your money back, et cetera, et cetera. But then the driver would show up at your home with the food, with the receipt, and they would say, oh, I'm sorry, there was a bug on the app. You got a refund, but like the payment didn't go through. So I need you to pay here on this POS. And the POS was tampered with. And when they typed like $50, they were actually like, in, in practice, it was like 5000 So you would swipe your credit card and they just took $5,000 from you and went away. Right? So I was really impressed because it, it was very hard for a consumer to tell like what was going on because it, it was a very credible type of social engineering attack. Usually like social engineering attacks are like, one in 10, one in a hundred, right? In this case, it was almost like 10 out of 10 that were falling for it. So I was really impressed about this one. It was also challenging because the payment was was happening outside of the platform. So the, the food delivery company didn't have any visibility on what was going on. And it has become a massive problem for, for that company. Uh, fortunately, we, we were able to partner. We enabled them to reduce that uh, like type of attack by more than 99%. And basically the way we did it was by uh, using our identifiers to prevent like the drivers from like sharing their accounts with someone else uh, because we would see, okay, someone else is accessing this account in another location. It might, might not be the, the same person, a different device, et cetera. So that was one. The other was preventing new fake accounts from being created. Um, so, so we were use our, our solution to verify the user address and link that to the ID process, et cetera. And also identify if multiple accounts were being created either from the same device or from the same location with multiple devices. With that, we were able to, to stop that, that problem. But if, if we didn't do that, probably this, this would have much bigger consequences for, for that company. So that was one. And the second was an interesting attack, also social engineering attack in which was the first time I saw chatbots being used at, at scale. And, and basically the, the attack was, if you followed, it, it was on a bank. If you followed that bank's page on social media, another page would follow you back. That page was very similar to the original uh, with like some like differences in the characters and the image, et cetera, but it, it was uh, controlled by a fraudster. And that account was uh, managed by a bot, which would start interacting with you, asking for like basic things like, oh, can you give us feedback on our service? Uh, like, how do you like our content, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, that bot would then send you a message like, do you recognize this transaction? We found it suspicious. 
And that immediately puts the consumer on a, on a place of vulnerability. Right? Oh my God, someone is trying to, to do something wrong here with, with my credit card. And then immediately the, the user would react, right? No, it wasn't me, et cetera. And then at that point, the bot was out and then a real person would become part of the conversation. And that person would eventually convince you to share the OTP that was just sent to your, in this case, to your email. Once you share that, it's over. They would take over your account, steal all your money. And it was very scalable because it was like one bot attacking like hundreds of thousands of people at the same time. And then once, let's say the consumer was primed for, to become a victim, then a real person would, would play in. So yeah, and another impressive and very creative attack that, that we've seen. And after seeing that, we, it was goes back to my previous point, right? We saw this, um, more than two years ago in Brazil. And recently we started seeing this uh, in, in, in the U.S. like six, nine months ago. So when we saw this here with, with this FinTech, we were like, okay, we already solved that problem for someone else. That's fine. We, we can get out. These, these scenarios you mentioned, uh, multi-accounting or account sharing, renting accounts. I've seen forums where people are, you know, they're not eligible to work in the country, but they want to rent accounts so they can make some money. And it seems benign. But then fraudsters see that and they know, well, I can rent this account and I can you know, do this scam that you just described. And then what a lot of people don't realize, I think, in the mainstream is just how powerful these chat GPT-like services are getting where a fraudster, a criminal ring, maybe it's a rogue nation state, putting these things together that can now communicate with tens of thousands of people at once. And it just takes yeah, that, that one hook and then here comes the live fraudish shit <laughs> to close the deal and it's it's pretty scary because there's not a lot to deflect against against those attacks so uh, it's exciting that Incarde has technology to be able to do that as the industry evolves and as Incognia grows or what are some of the key initiatives that you see for your platform that you can share in a public forum like the next year uh, what, what are you solving for yeah, I'd say we continue to, to expand into into additional verticals. So we, we started with banking. Now we have customers across like industries like marketplaces, um, gig economy platforms, uh, full delivery, vacation rental, but also cu- customers in the social media space and gaming space and entertainment, streaming, et cetera. So we're, we're seeing that the product is very flexible and we continue to explore new verticals. So, so that's one thing. And Obviously, like for each of these verticals, you need to adapt your product in some way to their specific needs. So for example, with in the streaming space, right, we were being asked to like start building a solution for smart TVs. And that's something we, we haven't thought about in the past, but, but we're going to start building this. So I see the product evolving in two different vectors. Um, one is on new channels, right? So our solution started like mobile only it was only for like native mobile applications um we expanded to web so now we have a solution that works for like websites as well uh now we're building this like smart tv product and we're seeing for example like cars that are being unlocked using a mobile app so probably that's that that might be a, a, another step so yeah growing into new channels uh new types of devices uh it's, it's one big area for us and the other is around new signals, right? So we started with location only 
then we expanded to location plus device fingerprint. And then we started adding some capabilities around uh, analyzing the, the user's behavior, like transaction behavior and board depth. So yeah, adding more signals, adding more like layers of data is, is also going to be a, an important part of, of how our product evolves. But also, I, I think an important part is, is also determining like what are the things that you are not going to do. So we don't plan to get into anything related to like document verification or like biometrics or, or things like that. So um, I see as being more of a like and behind the scenes type of solution that don't interfere with the user experience or, or doesn't have any end user interface, but we coexist and partner and, and integrate with what these uh, other solutions, for example. But yeah, that's, those are the three like key areas that, that are senior products um, evolving towards. I definitely see the smart TV play. I've got all my TVs are smart TVs and if not, I've got the fire stick to plug in there. This Internet of Things vision is coming together, like the refrigerators and the ovens yes. and the cars, everything's all connected. And like, how do you assert the identity and ownership of a device, especially when that device might get AI in it and it starts to, it's your AI powered fridge that's ordering eggs for you. Like someone could hack that and suddenly you, you have fraud scenarios. It's, it's really a crazy world where the world is going. When you mentioned that you don't have a plan to like really go down the the IDV, the document stack and other things, would you say your model includes both like direct implementations and then you, you do partnerships with companies that sort of sit in their stack? Meaning both. Yeah, we, we do have um, partnerships with, with a couple of, of companies in the document verification and, and selfie space, for example. So, so yeah, given that's an area that we're particularly uh, likely, we have decided not to get into, that's an area we are over happy to partner with existing players. And the reason why we're not doing that is, if you think about the data that we capture, right? We, we capture quite sensitive information about consumers. We're, we're talking about like location data and uh, device information, et cetera. So this is more of a long-term strategy, which is given my background in security, the, the thing I believe in is um, like a, a data breach is, is a matter of time. Doesn't matter like how good you are in security. It doesn't matter like how good your your technology is. At some point, someone will be able to find a crack and 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 get into it. So, as we've seen, like all of the credit reporting agencies, for example, have data breaches. Many of the like payment companies, banks, telcos, and and they they have capable people. They have like very good teams. But at some point, you'll be a target. And so, what we decided to do was, given we have this this data and it's sensitive. We don't want to know who's the person behind that device. We don't know, want to know like their name, their phone number, their email address, anything like that. Because in case there is a breach and we have our, our, our data out there, we don't want to be responsible for revealing like the locations, things individuals, right? So if we separate that and the only party that knows who's that person is our customer, the app that is using us, but we don't know, we don't have that data. I think we create a much safer environment uh, in the end for, for consumers and, and for our customers. So that's why we're not getting into IDB. Yeah, it's a very smart way to do it, like keeping that firewall and also making sure it's not just safe, but you're being very privacy-centric for, for the consumers. Yes, uh, it's, it's a okay. powerful way to do it. Well, Audrey, we're almost at time. And if you've seen this podcast or those that are watching, you know, I like to go a little bit deeper than just the profile to learn about passion projects and what drives you. 
I saw that you're involved with an organization called Endeavor, where you provide mentorship around entrepreneurship and it has uh, economic empowerment uh, aspects to it. Can you share more about that and like the other things that you work on besides Incognia? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so yeah, um, Endeavor is a is a fantastic organization. Like they they have this global network of uh, entrepreneurs and and mentors, and yeah, it's fantastic. Like the impact they're they're having globally, like. For example, connecting like mentors here from like Silicon Valley to entrepreneurs uh, in in a like region that has barely had any any type of like VC activity, for example, and, and having these people talk and, and 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 inspire them and help them like create their business, et cetera. So so it's it's really rewarding to to be part of this network. Um, and what's interesting to me particularly is I'm on both sides, right? As an entrepreneur, like being able to access these ventures and learn from them, but also as an experienced entrepreneur, helping the other, like younger entrepreneurs figure out how to, how to build their business. So I'm, I'm both mentor, but also mentee, all right. And, and this process and, and it's, it's really, really great to be like, and, and you also learn a lot from like learning about the challenges that the, the other entrepreneurs are facing, et cetera. So. It's a really interesting community and I'm very happy to be part of it. Yeah, that, that cycle is you know, you've learned things so you can share it, but then as your business scales and grows, like you run into new challenges and then you have that network. So yeah, that's a great, it's a great organization to be involved in. Well, we're at time. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, for the audience thank that's you. watching or listening, what types of conversations would you like to have or would you like them to reach out to Incognia directly? What are you looking uh, for from a uh, market standpoint? Well, and on my end, I'd, I'd say that, yeah, the most interesting conversations are like for me when, when I learn about a new, a new attack, uh, I'm, I'm always like super curious to, to know what's going on with, with companies in, in different spaces. Uh, because what's, what's interesting is that when you analyze the attacks, usually pretty much everything boils down to, to account security. So if you are able to ensure that all of the accounts in your platform are legit, like people are not being able to create fake accounts, uh, people are not being able to create like multiple accounts at the same time, and also that people are not being able to take over existing accounts from legitimate customers, if you ensure that piece and you do this really well, uh, you can get rid of pretty much every fraud-related problem. Obviously, there are other things like device security and and other potential threats, but but if you do this part really well, I think you, you are in a, in a good place. So yeah, I, I'm I'm always curious to learn about the attacks and learn about the specific consequences of each attack in each industry, and try to connect it to these like underlying issues related to account security. So so yeah, I, I'd say that's certainly the, the the topic I'm most interested about, and if anyone in any any industry. And willing to, to to share and chat more about it, I'll be happy to. Excellent, excellent. I'll include some contact details in this episode, like your LinkedIn profile. I highly recommend anyone who's watching or listening follow Andre on LinkedIn. He posts really good content about these fraud attacks and what's happening in the market. Again, Andre, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we could spend another hour just talking about fraud attacks. It's really fascinating. But thank you for the time. It's a pleasure to be here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Trust and Safety Mavericks. Subscribe to our show 
to be notified about every new episode and follow Incognit and me under Faraz on LinkedIn and Twitter. <laughs>